So in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8, here's what Peter said. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. A child was in Sunday school and uh, a a teacher who happened to be an artist like Miss Patricia uh, was saying, well, can't you see showing pictures of the, of the beautiful creation? And she said, well, can't you see how all this beauty was painted by a beautiful artist and how the Lord Jesus was able to do everything that you see? And isn't it amazing? And uh, the little child who was there said, yes, and, and, he, and he was left-handed too. He did it left-handed. And, and, the, and the teacher said, well, what do you mean he did it left-handed? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is uh, in heaven and that he is, and that, uh, well, God has to be left-handed because Jesus is on his right hand. <laughs> so God, the great artist, did it left-handed. I don't know about that, but I do know that God has done a beautiful work, and this beautiful work is creation itself. Creation was marred and was hurt because of sin, but God intervened early on with a plan, and that plan was to make sure that he did not destroy our potential, that though humans were put at a disadvantage by our forefather and our foremother, Adam and Eve, We were given hope so that we would not be in a state of perpetual loss and perpetual pain and perpetual death, that God had a plan for our good and not our evil. And in 1 Peter, we learn a lesson here about how we can participate in loving and doing what God wants. So I think it's very important to look at in these verses, when you see these words and above all, you know that's a priority a priority that everyone needs, a priority that says that whatever we're into doing, this is more important. And he makes it clear that above all things, have fervent love for one another. Now, we are abundantly worried about a lot of things. You may be concerned about paying your bills. You may be concerned about uh, how you're going to make it in this economy, how you're going to be able to provide in the future. You may be concerned about your health and about how to take care of yourself. You may be concerned about family members, and you may be concerned about so many things. But in truth, above all things, there is a priority, and that is the priority of love. And he makes it clear here that love covers a multitude of sins, that if a person's priorities are set there, on loving God and loving each other, then the rest of these things will take care of themselves. That's what it really means, that 
No one is perfect and no one does it always right except God. But God wants us to make a priority on love. And he's going to explain some ways in which we can show love when he follows up. So after he says that we need to make a priority of love, he then gives us some practical things we can do to demonstrate that love. So he says in verse number nine, love is hospitable because he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <laughs> now, you may not realize this, but when you are dealing with people, you're dealing with different personalities. You're dealing with conflicts because people don't, when, when people are in a group, you've got a whole lot of individual wills who each have their own way of doing things. And then you have uh, to work together so that things are done in one direction. Now that is, at some point, we have to surrender our will to somebody else in that process. At some point, we have to get everybody to be on the same page or you won't have a group at all. So when he says, be hospitable to one another, he literally is trying to help people be accommodating to one another. That accommodation is so important. Now, we have a, a thing called the hospitality uh, 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 industry in America. The hospitality industry has to do with people who spend the night in hotels, and mostly it's the hotel business. But in being hospitable, the good hotels are those that are most hospitable, literally. They are going to take care of your needs. I have seen a big difference from when I was a young college kid having to stay in very cheap hotels that were dirt cheap and literally barely had anything above a dirt floor. And you, you made sure that you touched as little as you could in every one of those rooms you stayed in because they, they didn't smell good, they weren't great, but I remember was because when I was going and traveling, you know, I just wanted to travel, you know, just like a lot of kids. They want to go and they're not too particular. But as I have grown, I have seen that the hospitality industry has improved. Now there's competition. You've got a hotel for every uh, taste. And, and you can find reasonable rates sometimes for very good service uh, and not always the best service. But the point of the matter is, is that to be hospitable is by definition to accommodate people and to anticipate their needs, to anticipate not just their needs, but their wants as well. And to be hospitable is hard work because not everyone has your taste. Not everyone does the thing that floats your boat. You and I, we're different people. We don't all like the same things. But to be hospitable to one another means that we are going to take into account other people's wants, wishes, desires, and needs, and we're going to place them even ahead of our own, which is why he says be hospitable to one another without grumbling. That's the hard part because a lot of hospitable people get taken advantage of, and a many people have taken advantage of people who are kind-hearted and do things, and then they, they just keep going and, and they exploit those poor people. Now, 
in the Bible, you, you might think that back in the New Testament days, these churches had it all together, that they were doing everything correct, but they were not. Even in the book of Acts, if you recall, you had a, an episode where you had the widows who were the Greek-speaking Jewish Christian widows and those that were the Hebrew-speaking widows. And the Greek-speaking widows were not being taken care of. The church was not being hospitable to them. And so a big controversy arose because there was a feeling in the church that some of the people's needs were not being taken care of. The apostles did not want to be burdened with this issue. So they said, let us get, uh, you select, pray about it, and select people who will be able to handle these needs. And they had seven people chosen to be the first deacons, and they helped manage what previously was a situation where people were grumbling. They were grumbling, and you've got to deal with it. But that's, and you know what happened? Because they dealt with it, there was no grumbling, and they were able to overcome. And, and God wants us to, to satisfy the needs and wants of the people around us and to within reason, as long as it's not immoral, as long as it's not something that violates God's word. So being hospitable to one another is very important, but it's important to do it without grumbling, not being, uh, how shall I say, uh, vindictive or getting a grudge because certain people get recognized and certain people don't. We've got to try to be even-handed as much as we can. So God defines here that love is a priority, but one of the elements of love is being hospitable, to take care of one another, to be alert to the needs of one another, to do acts of service that you take consideration for others. Now, a, a, another thing here the scripture says is that God wants us to serve him with our spiritual gifts. Notice how he says, as each one has received a gift, in verse 10, minister it to one another. So we now know that one of the things God gives in the church is he gives us spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift if you are a Christian. If you have confessed that Jesus is Lord with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are a child of God. That is confirmed. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says it shall be saved. So if you have a gift, which God gives to you, and he does, he gives everyone a gift, he, he has instructed us to minister it to one another. So a gift unused is a gift refused. And we need to remember that we should not refuse the gifts that God's given to us. I know for a fact that if you had the ability and you had the money and it was no problem, you would give almost anything to your loved ones uh, out of your heart if they needed it because that's just a natural desire. You want to give them a good gift. Well, God gave us good gifts. These good gifts he's given us were intended to help one another. So we are passing on what God's given to us 
to the use of other people. But if we don't use those gifts to help other people, if we don't share those gifts with others, then we have a problem because we are not doing what the scripture says. So as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards, which means like a manager, of the manifold grace of God. That, I love the word manifold because it sounds like a machine in a car engine, but it isn't. It's nothing to do with a car engine. It just means the various and spread out grace of God. And to be a good manager of what you've received means you do something with it. You work it, you, you give it out to people, you show uh, through, through your giftedness, you can do things that other people can't do. And those gifts need to be used. Now, we have an idea of some of those gifts when we look in the Bible to Romans chapter 12, verses six through eight. And, and there's a small list of these gifts, just as a sample. I'm not trying to make a, 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 a total list of gifts today. You could do that on your own. But as an example of gifts, in Romans chapter 12, we see here that not everyone has the same gift. And in fact, in verse number six of chapter 12, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We like to talk a lot about equality. And in fact, I think we talk too much about equality. Because what happens in the modern world, when people say we should promote equity, what's called equity, what they really mean is sameness. They really want you to be a number so that you just are like everybody else, that you all eventually are going to blend together and just look the same and be distinguished by nothing but a number. That's all you, they care about you, ultimately. Uh, the world doesn't care about you doesn't really treat you as an individual anyway, but rather you're just there to help the machine keep working. But the Bible says that we have gifts that are different according to the grace that is given to us. So God gave you and me different proportions of grace and gifts. It was his decision to do this. It's not for us to say, oh, I wish I had more, although you can desire more gifts if you want. But notice the gifts that he gives. He says, if it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now that word prophesy or prophecy, it refers to a preaching gift that has to do with telling God's word in a way that is consistent with what God's message is. And I, I'm convinced that if you don't have the gift of prophecy and you're trying to preach, you've got a harder job. There's no question in my mind. So to have the gift of prophecy also means you have the ability to see the world situation as it is and not how you want it to be. And if you have the gift of prophecy, you're going to be able to sense danger and warn about it. That's what the gift of prophecy is. So the Bible says that if you have that gift, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. So, you, so it, it, what it makes it out to be to me is that if you can increase your faith, then your prophecy and your ability to use the gift gets stronger. 
And I think that's true of every one of the gifts, that as you grow in faith, your gift also grows in usefulness to other people. But he says another gift, a gift of ministry. Now that's a very general term. How can that be a gift? But the gift of ministry or service is a gift. Some people are really good at getting things done. They're just very good of taking care of routine tasks. They can handle things. Good for them. Because they have the gift of ministry, the Bible says, let them use it in their ministry. Let them enhance their ministry. Let them serve more people. They're more efficient at getting things done. God wants us to serve him. If that's your service, then do the service and make sure you do it uh, to help yourself in ministering to people. If you have the gift of service and you never serve, then that's sad and that's a waste. He says, he who teaches in teaching. Some people have a gift for teaching. If you have a gift for teaching, you need to be a teacher. You need to teach according to the word and use it in your teaching. Don't waste your gift by laying it aside. He who exhorts. Now, this is a gift of exhortation. This is not a gift that we talk about a lot, but it's very important. An encourager. Somebody like a coach has to, I would say that a coach who has the gift of exhortation is a gifted coach. That's going to be good for a coach, don't you? Because you, if you're a coach, you have to exhort your athletes to make it to do their best. Well, if you are a Christian in a church and you have the gift of exhortation and encouragement, you have the gift of encouraging people. And that's extremely important in a day when there's a lot of discouragers in the world. So he says, he who exhorts in exhortation, go ahead and exhort and, and, and build people up and encourage people to do things for the Lord, to do things to help one another, to do things that keep us in good standing with God and our fellow man. Then he says, what about the gift of giving? He who gives with liberality. Some people actually have a gift of giving. They are just generous people. They, I mean, it's a strange thing to have a gift of giving, but that's where their calling is. They just are always giving. And so if you've got the gift of giving, but you're not actually giving, that would be very strange. So the gift of giving uh, is to be done liberally, freely, and often. And the Lord says, it, it's, it's certainly not going to be a waste. He who leads with diligence. Uh, if you have the gift of administration and you can, you can absolutely manage things well, then you need to do it diligently and be doing that type of work. Because if God gave you the gift to do it, then you need to use it. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Some people have the gift of mercy, and that gift is a gift to help people who are in very bad circumstances. These are people who, who ha, whose heart cries out for those who are hurting, those who are sick, maybe even those who are dying, but they have a special place in their heart to go and do something for those people, and their heart cries out to the Lord for those people. So the Bible says, if you have the gift of mercy, you need to do 
Ex exhibit your gift with cheerfulness. So notice how that all the gifts, regardless of what they are, God wants us to use those gifts, have the right attitude about using those gifts, do uh, use these gifts with diligence, freely, and to make sure that we rely on the Lord according to our faith. And, and God has a gift that he's given you, maybe more than one. But don't waste your gift. Make sure you use your gifts because God, he wants you and I to follow him. Now, notice here in the scripture, uh, Peter then, to confirm what Paul said earlier about gifts, he makes some oblique references to these gifts here in verse number 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. It's important for preachers to not get up here and say, well, I, this scholar says this is what this means, and this scholar says this is what it means, but maybe we just need to have a general positive attitude about everything, and it might work out someday but I'm not sure about it. <laughs> well, that's not what a prophet of God would say. The oracles of God, the mouthpieces of God, they're not up here suffering their own emotional crisis about and confidence about themselves. They are people who get out of the way and preach the Bible and don't get caught up just telling you their opinions and their theories about everything because it doesn't matter what my opinion is about the Bible. What does matter is what God says, and that word itself is powerful. So remember, God's word is bigger than any preacher. It's bigger than the prophet. It is the word itself that counts. So when you preach, if you have the gift of prophecy, speak as an oracle of God. Don't get up and say to somebody, well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know something, it's fine. I, there's many things I don't know, but I know the Bible is true, and I want to keep preaching the Bible. So keep preaching the Bible. If anyone ministers, like if you have the gift of service, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. You might say, well, I don't have the time. Well, what time do you have? You know, it's not like you may not have all the time, but you got some time. Uh, you may not have all the money, but what money do you have? If you don't have all of the, the abilities to do things, what, what things can you do? See, God does not grade us on how we compare with others. I should repeat that. God does not grade us on how we compare with others. He's going to grade us on how we compare with how we can be when we are fully faithful to him. And that means there's only one standard for our lives, Jesus and how we measure to him. And he's the ultimate comparison. And that's it. So do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus or through Jesus Christ. So the Lord wants us to glorify God with our gifts. That means in our workplace, in the church, in communities, if we'll use our gifts to help build people up, if we will use our gifts to glorify the Lord Jesus, then I believe God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
How, how big a difference would it be if every corporate board in the world was run by people who got on their knees every day and asked God for wisdom and believed Jesus Christ was Lord, would, would there be difference in advertising on TV? Would Christian companies be sponsoring some of the filth that's all around us? Would they be doing that? No. We need a godly change in our society. We need God in control of the hearts of men, and we need the hearts of men submitted to the Lord everywhere they go. That means in their business, in their work. We want Christians to be everywhere. We don't want to say, okay, we're just going to have religion on Sunday morning or in Sunday night, occasionally on Wednesday, but we are going to let everything else go and just be like every atheist on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Hmm. No, God wants us to serve him. He owns the dominion forever and ever. He's in charge. The Lord Jesus is in charge. He deserves to be in charge. We owe him everything. So you and I, we need God to rule us so that wherever we work, he's ruling us there too. Boy, what a difference that's going to be. The more people that have Christ ruling their hearts, the better our country's going to be. Now, as important as elections are, and they are important, they cannot rise above the level of the people themselves. So the people have to be right with God because why in the world would God give us godly leaders if the people are not godly? Okay, there's a whole lot of ungodliness going on down here and we need godly leaders. So we need to pray that God would help us to use our gifts. Remember, above all, love is what God wants for us. He wants us to love. And he wants us to show that love through hospitality, through being able to take care of each other. He wants us to use the gifts that we have so that we can uh, not be like everybody else, but rather help everybody else with that which we're strong at doing. And then he absolutely wants us to use those gifts wholeheartedly for him, unapologetically and with conviction. But the point of the matter is, is that God wants to be glorified through Jesus Christ. And, and he, he, he deserves the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen is what Peter says. He certainly deserves that. What did Jesus do? Jesus did more than any man ever. Let's look at how Jesus followed this. Now, Jesus had gifts. He had a teaching gift, for sure. He had the gift of, well, pretty much had all the gifts, if you think about it, but he, everything he did was right. He spent time with people. He healed more people than have ever been healed by any individual doctor ever. He had more success in his uh, administration of his disciples. It's pretty amazing. He never wrote a book uh, except for his inspiration of the Bible. But as a human, we have no record of him writing at all except one time. And you know when that was? There was a woman who was caught in adultery. They brought this woman to him. 
Now, I don't know where the man was. I mean, she wasn't by herself. So they left that man away somewhere, but they brought her. They were to make sure. We've caught this woman. She's a no good woman. She's adulterous. What should we do? Now they did that, not because ultimately they wanted to kill her, but they wanted to see what Jesus would say about it so then they could get him in trouble. That happened a lot in Jesus's life. They tried to get him in trouble by putting him into to situations. So he's, he's here and uh, he's just riding in the sand. He's literally drawing in the sand while they're talking to him. And so when they ask him, what should we do? He says, well, he of you who has no sin, let him cast the first stone, which was <laughs> quite an answer. Uh, he knew their hearts. He knew what they were trying to do. So he did not say the law was wrong. Technically, people can be punished. But the Bible always gives discretion to people about punishment. We have punishment. Not all murderers in the Bible were executed. Okay, Many of them were allowed to live and face punishment a different way. So you and I have that freedom today. But in his case, the oldest person then down to the youngest started dropping their rocks because the oldest knew, well, I've certainly got a lot of sin that I've committed. And then the next one realized it. And then they finally all left her alone. And so Jesus said to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Because they left. And they were gone. And so... There was no one there to condemn her. It says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Uh, very powerful. Jesus wants us to understand who he is. He belong, It's not about me or you or whether people remember us. That has nothing to do with anything. It's about glorifying the Lord Jesus in our lives. It, he deserves the dominion forever. If we can let him rule in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, he's already got the dominion there. Then it needs to spread to someone else. You see, we don't have to wait till Jesus comes back for Jesus to rule here on earth. He can rule in our hearts because if he rules our choices, he's ruling us. You see how that works? And the devil can do nothing about it. The devil cannot stop you from obeying Jesus. He has absolutely no power over us when it comes to obeying the Lord. You say, well, Brother Keith, a lot of Christians died for their faith. They did die, but the devil did not kill them. The devil was, was not able to stop them from obeying God. God, they obeyed God even to death. And Jesus said this, when the devil took their lives, here's what happened to them. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And if you lay your life down for Jesus, the devil just helped you out to give the greatest love you could ever give to Jesus. He's doing people a favor when he persecutes you. 
He's doing people a favor because we think so much that the devil has all this power over the world. He has no power over us because even when he gives us his worst, we gain the most. So we win regardless, regardless. We win because the dominion of Christ in our hearts cannot be taken away from the devil. He puts people in jail, we still serve the Lord. Paul proved that when he was in the Macedonian prison. You know, he, he they, it's midnight. All the other prisoners are there probably trying to get sleep and they're singing hymns and glorifying God. And then a huge earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison, opens up the doors to the prison. What an amazing God we serve. God is in control, but he wants to start in our hearts and with our choices. And we start with loving God, being hospitable, using our gifts the way God intended, and letting God rule in our hearts. And that's where our stubbornness comes in. Boy, we are stubborn. We don't really want him to rule us, but God will rule us if we let him. And if we just say, Lord, help us. So we'll be better servants of yours. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, all glory belongs to you. And we thank you for Peter who loved you and gave us a great message in these scriptures along with Paul. Lord, please don't let us waste our gifts, but let us use them to build people up and let us walk in such a way that in all things, you, God, are glorified through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet and we'll sing a hymn.